As Thanksgiving draws nearer, everyone's thoughts turn to things that they're thankful for. What are we grateful for? And so today, on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Frank Caggiano is going to talk about some of the things that he's grateful for and also give us kind of a, a, a different way to look at uh, gratitude. In the second segment, he's going to talk about Catholic schools and the role that Catholic schools should play in the lives of our children and our families and in terms of passing on the faith. So this is going to be an excellent conversation. Keep your radio right here at 1350 AM or keep it dialed in on your phone using the Veritas mobile app. As you know, the, on the app, you can listen to the live broadcast, you can grab podcasts of episodes you missed, you can get the Veritas mobile app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. It is now last call for Youth in Action grants. The application period ends this Friday, November 19th, at 11.59 p.m. So visit foundationsinfaith.org today to get started. Remember, this program funds three diocesan initiatives that are by youth and for youth for up to $5,000. Applicants must be members of a Catholic high school, a parish high school-aged youth group, or a Catholic young adult group. Applications must also emphasize evangelization, collaboration, or justice and equity for historically underserved populations in their proposed programs. Make sure you go to the Foundations and Faith website to apply. Remember, applications close this Friday. The website is foundationsinfaith.org and click on Youth in Action Grants at the top of the page. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities. The reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, how are you, my friend? Excellency, doing well, always. Right here in the middle of November. Gosh. Oh, (laughs) boy, it's hard to believe how fast the, the year has flown by. I know. I know. Now that it's gotten cold, it actually feels like we're in the midst of fall, right? In fact, there was some snow up, up further up north. So I think, yeah, it's get ready, get but, that rock salt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Rula showed me uh, that uh, today it was snowing out where our son goes to college too. So, and that's that's pretty much a straight shot west. So, <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, because in the Midwest. Yeah, yep. when I was with the bishops, yeah, the, the some of those in the Midwest have already had snow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, but Crazy. I love the snow. I, as I've said many times, I love this time of year. Uh, even though we finally had some changing of the foliage, which was nice. Not yep. as much as I thought we could have had, but, and now everything's freezing up. So, I mean, everything's <laughs> just going to go straight to winter. Yeah, Next year, I might not even blow the leaves in my yard. I'll just let let them freeze over and get snow. Yeah, let them disintegrate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let them disintegrate. The heck with them. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna tell Rula that you said that it's okay for me to do that. Yeah. You no, no. Don't get me involved in marital issues. <laughs> so, you know, uh, this is the time of year, Excellency, that um, you know everybody, not just Catholics, but uh, but 
it feels like the whole country, the whole world starts to think about what we're thankful for and uh, count our blessings. Right, right. And um, right, right. we're going to be, right. you, you and I are going to be occupied the week of Thanksgiving with a special guest, but today might be a good day to, to reflect mm-hmm. ourselves. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's extraordinarily important for a number of reasons. First and foremost, for those who are Christian, for you and I as believers, it's the heart of our, our worship of God. It's to give thanks, which is the Eucharist. It's to enter into the mystery of the death and resurrection of Christ and to be thankful for the gift of our salvation in him. So the disposition to be thankful for a Christian should be fundamental to his or her life. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And I think COVID and the pandemic has frayed people's nerves, has made many people more irritable, and not to overgeneralize, but people are much quicker to complain, much quicker to look at the darker side of things, rather than to take a step back and really give expression in thanks for everything that this person, you or I, may have in our life. Now notice, very important sentence, for everything that we have in our life. So, if I were to ask you, my friend, what are the things you are thankful for, what would you say? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, so many things. The first thing that comes to mind is my family. The family I grew up in, the family that uh, Rul and I have uh, are building together now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have I, this. This might sound like the kind of answer you give in Sunday school, but it's true for me. I just can't believe all the graces and blessings that God has given me in my life, and I just know that I don't deserve. <laughs> Yeah, right. And and a, a man of faith or a woman of faith would have eyes enough to recognize those blessings. And many of them are obvious, aren't they? So your family, as my family, is extremely important to me as a blessing. And then there are others, right? It's our health. Yes. Right? Because that is a very, that is a gift that is very fragile, very frail at times. But when we have good health, it's something we need to be thankful for. Um, friends that are equally important to family many times because good friends are part of your family, right? Yes, yes. And we've spoken about that, right? I think living in our country is a blessing. Amen. Despite the problems we have because we still struggle with the great experiment of a country that dares to hold at least an ideal of prosperity, equality, and justice for all people. Now, we're far from that in some regards, but we're much closer to that than many other places on earth. Yeah. You know, when I lived in Italy, I was very thankful for the, just the small things, like regular store hours, right? Um, a, a, an attitude, now I love, I love the Italian, of course I am Italian, and Living in Rome had its great benefits, which I discovered only later, as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But when I initially came, 
I was grateful for the routine of life that I have here, that you that we all share here, that I just took for granted. Most blessings you do take for granted. So I have some questions for reflection that I want people to think about. Because we have about, what, a week before Thanksgiving, more or less? Right. Yeah, it's actually eight days. Mm -hmm. So the first question I want people to reflect on is, apart from the obvious blessings, what are the hidden blessings that you're grateful for? The people, the places, the experiences, the graces that don't automatically come to mind, like you said, family and the things I mentioned, that take a little bit more work to identify and be thankful. See, Thanksgiving is not the day to do it. Thanksgiving is the day you lift up the basket to, to Christ to thank him. The, the work gets done now in these eight days. And it's a great spiritual exercise. Remember the, uh, the exercise of the koinonia and the five suitcases? Remember we talked yes, about that last year? I do, yes. Yeah. Right. Well, we don't have to do the exercise just the first day. Take out some paper, at least eight or ten sheets, you know, lined paper, because it should take you that long to write down the blessings. Start with the obvious and go to less obvious and keep at it. And say to yourself every day, I'm going to fill up one side of this page and not repeat myself. And it's a tremendous spiritual exercise because then you begin to discover things that you have taken for granted and didn't even realize you took for granted for such a long time. And you put it there on that list. So that's one exercise. Then there is the second exercise, which is much more difficult. Not to get too personal, all right? If I were to ask you, give to me an experience of life, I'll answer my own question first, an experience of life, which was a tremendous burden, a tremendous suffering, a tremendous uh, occasion of, of just um, great um, dislocation, doubt, confusion, something that ostensibly you say, I never want to go through that again. Are any or all of those experiences going to go on your list as a blessing? Case in point. I can give you a whole slew of them in my life. I'll give you one, an example. I've spoken before about contracting rheumatic fever when I was 10 years old. And it was St. Anthony's Day when it really flowered to the point where I could not go back to school. And it was Labor Day when basically, and we've spoken about this, where I was able to really get back out into the world. And for the longest time, that was an episode in my life that I never want to go through that again. It was just terrible. However, now as I've grown much older, I realized that it was a hidden blessing. For many reasons, not least of which, I, I can tell you clearly my vocation to priesthood was born in those days of being alone. It was born in that bed because my entire life was upended. 
And because my entire life was upended, it's, they were, there was a crack in the wall I was building, even at a young age, where the light of grace shone and said, not so fast. There may be something else for you to think about. And it was the kindness that, you know, of the people around me who did care for me, besides my parents, the deacon and others, as we've spoken about, that helped me to realize, you know what? What really matters? What really matters in life? What, what's really worth making a commitment to? What type of difference do you really want to make? If I could get out of this bed, what would I do differently? Now, I put all these words to that experience many years later, but it was there. So at that time, it was not a blessing. It was, a curse would be too strong, but it was a crucible. It was a, I look back now and see what has happened. It is a blessing. This Thanksgiving, I will give thanks to God for all of that. What ostensibly the world will say, you're nuts, you are absolutely insane for doing that. Yeah. Right? And, and don't we all have those experiences in life? Yeah, my, mine, mine also uh, involves health, although not mine, uh, but my wife's, as you know the story, Excellency. Two days after we flipped the switch and went live uh, with Veritas, she had to, she was admitted to the hospital with aggressive leukemia that came out of nowhere. And that was six months of her uh, in, mostly in, but sometimes also out of the hospital that were extremely difficult. And, uh, you know, I hope we never go through that again. But I, <clears throat> towards the end of that, uh, that time, I had a, a roommate from college who has no faith. And he texted me, and he meant very well. And he said, I heard what's happening. I can't imagine, um, uh, I can't imagine how life must stink right now for you. And he meant well, even though it didn't come out the right way. And I texted him back, and I said, you know, um, I appreciate it. It's been very hard, but it's also been full of grace. And... I say that, Excellency, because in, it, every morning I would drop off the kids' school, I would go see Rula in the hospital. And there were mornings when I walked in, before, it wasn't even 9 a.m., and I opened the door, and she would kind of flop her head towards the door to see me. And not every morning, but some mornings, and she would just say, bad day. And I'd say, it's not even 9 a.m., it's a bad day. And as I would walk into her hospital room, she would say, today I'm offering it up for this person and this person and this person. And we saw, I saw, she didn't see, but I saw the effects that it was having. It, it was just... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So, so it's, it's the mystery of redemptive suffering. Right? It's the mystery... It's of the surrender to the greater loving hands of God. But when you're doing it, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look back, yeah. right? But when you look back, you say, wow. So it was a blessing. You know, there's a book I was reading. Actually, it's, it's, it's a tiny, it's, it's almost a pamphlet. And I recommend it to everyone who is listening to this podcast. It's 
Seeing the Pandemic with Eyes of Faith, Seven Prophets for Our Time, Hmm. by Father Ivano Milico. And in the center of the, I mean, it's really a tiny book, but I took each chapter each day, which probably takes 10 minutes to read each, maybe 15 minutes, not even, each chapter. And there is, in chapter four, the last sentence that just struck me like a bat hit me in the head. And this is what the sentence says, and then you know the context. And it says, let us not curse our own cannonball. Hmm. And of course, he's relating the life of St. Ignatius Loyola. And we know the story. In 1521, a soldier trying to defend the city of Pamplona, um, his, his regiment was overrun, and he had a cannonball literally explode in his lap, damaged one leg and broke the other completely. And if I remember correctly, um, the the injuries were so serious that he had to be carried back to Loyola to his family's castle, and he was tended, right, by his sister-in-law. And this man, who was the troubadour, not the troubadour, but like the soldier of fortune and, you know, the mystique of... I'm going to be a little facetious, like wine, women, and the glory of military victory kind of thing. And he loved to read those stories and all the rest, right? Um, He was dying. He was dying. And then there was one night on the eve of the solemnity of Peter and Paul where he began to get better. And he endured two surgeries on his leg. First to correct the deformity because it would have healed crooked. Second, he took, he, they would have been uneven. So they had to do surgery in their primitive way, if I could say it that way, yeah. to try to lengthen his leg so he could at least walk without too much hindrance. Both times without any anesthetic, even right. of its age. Could you imagine? Can you imagine? Talk about, I would pass out from the pain. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then we know the story, right? That his sister, there was nothing to read except the book of the saints, the lives of the saints. And he became fascinated with the heroic uh, virtue of Francis or the courageous preaching of Dominic, right? And now why do I tell you all this? Because he could have cursed the cannonball, right? And the world would have told him to do it because all your hopes and your dreams and your plans were upended. Now suddenly you have to settle for something quote unquote less. And everything psychologically and spiritually that comes with that. So the pride, the determination, all right, the the self, uh, I would say appeasement, but, but the gratification to be able to mold your destiny by the things you want and, and forge a life together, which sometimes beguiles almost any and all of us, all that had to go because of one cannibal. 
and it changed his life. According to Father, it be, he began to see, right? It, it, it's, the, it's the foundation of the spiritual exercises, but he began to see things in a totally different light. So the suffering of his life, the cannonball of his life, was his greatest blessing, which he gave thanks for. So my second question to everyone, what is your cannonball or cannonballs in life? And can you see them now or pray to see it one day in your life as a blessing on Thanksgiving you will consciously and intentionally give thanks to God for having endured it? Because the person you are now, for the better, may have been the result of the cannonball. That is the sort of exercise, I think, in anticipation of Thanksgiving, we, you and I and our listeners need to, to, to think through. And we all know people who have had what the world would have said were t- tremendous challenges, great sufferings, and every reason to scream out to God in anger for this. And yet, this moment, in the, this season in our lives, as we come up to this, what was once a secular holiday, but it's actually a quasi-religious holiday, and for us, it's just one day of many, right, that we give thanks. Right. Are there things in our lives that we could say, you know what, Lord, I finally could come to you and say, thank you for this. Thank you for having that happen. You know, I mean, again, to be very personal, you know, I've spoken much about my mom. Some people have said to me, what about your dad? Right. And I loved my dad, right? But that's a whole nother t- 10, se- 10 episodes of the podcast, <laughs> right, about my dad. But it was so hard for me to reconcile my mother's death. This is obvious. I mean, you could, I mean you know, even if you superficially know me, you know that. Mm-hmm. But it was there was but but only in the last couple of years have I come to realize that even that is a blessing that I need to give thanks for and I wish to give thanks for. Because if my mother had lived, right, and suffered, right, simply because I wanted to hold on to her in my own life, right, that's not a reason to give thanks. Right? But the, to think that my mom endured lung cancer for 13 months and was relatively pain-free, active and mobile for 12 months and one week of those 13 months is a blessing that I give thanks to God for now. Right? The fact that I was able to say goodbye is a blessing that I give thanks for. And the fact that she did not have to endure a, 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 like a, a nursing facility or a long-term hospitalization, which would have been an agony for her, I give thanks to God for. But, but it's, it's taken a while to get to that. So then what is it in our lives, from childhood, adolescence, in our adulthood, that we've just dismissed because, you know, we either can't make sense of it, or it has just been too painful or suffering, and can we find, even if we don't think it is a blessing to be thankful for, are there elements of it that now we can say, well, this was really difficult. 
and I'm not ready, Lord, to say thank you for having experienced it, but this piece of it, I can, right? Which is my third and last question in this, right? Because in everything that happens, right, is for our greater good. God will lead us to our greater good, to our eternal good. So I think this these next eight days could make Thanksgiving next week such a blessing, such a spiritual reawakening if we really dig deep to ask what are the blessings, even those disguised. And what we will discover is that there are far more blessings in our life than we ever imagined. What do you think? Yeah, amen. I mean, the, all this stuff, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense to the world. It only makes sense in the context of, of, of Jesus Christ and our participation or our active participation in redemptive suffering, as you said. Because otherwise, what uh, Paul's words to the Thessalonians saying, give thanks in all circumstances, why would you give thanks in all circumstances according to the world? But only because, like you just said, Excellency, from right. Romans, you know, we know that all things work for good. Um, so. Right, right. And even if I must say this, which, is, which may be a bit odd to say, but as we reflect on this in the coming week, even the times when you and I have sinned, the consequences of our sins can themselves be a hidden blessing. And the reason I say that is because our sins put us in a place where we knew we couldn't stay. They had consequences that we knew was not what we were meant to live. We knew, we know when we sin and we mess up things, that that mess up is not what was, is our destiny. It's not what God wants for us. In a sense, having committed the sin, even the consequences can be a blessing, particularly if it teaches us why that sin is a sin and gives us the resolve to not sin again in that regard, right? There's even hidden blessings there. Yeah. And, and can we be that humble on Thanksgiving to add it to our list? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As, and as you're saying, just to clarify what you're saying, Excellency, as long as that impels us to go back to the sacrament of confession, get ourselves right. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Absolutely. I'm presuming all of this has happened. Right. What I'm presuming is uh, we have committed our sins, we've sought reconciliation, we've gone to the sacrament of confession, and we've been forgiven, right? But the lessons we learned are a blessing. Yeah. Good will come out of even those circumstances because our God is so gracious. So have we ever thanked God for that? Yeah, yeah. Right, for those things. Yeah, I guess my invitation is that this Thanksgiving, given everything we've endured, particularly with the COVID and the pandemic, this would be the real, this would be the one year that I think we need as a people and as individuals, as believers, to dig much deeper, to be grateful to the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Well, and I'm thankful for our conversations every week. Um, well, I'm thankful for you, my friend, that you put up with me every week. Absolutely. <laughs> um, let's, on that note, let's, let's take a break. We'll come back with more on the other side of the break, Excellency. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. 
If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, so His Excellency Bishop Caggiano, has just, we just uh, wrapped up talking about thankfulness and, and, and actually I love how you, you took a, a different uh, perspective on being thankful that you usually don't hear at this time of year um, and so I thought that was very important thank you very much for that excellency we're, we're going to transition now because um, we talked uh, last week or two weeks ago with Patrick Donovan about passing on the faith and um, I know you had some things you wanted to say about that especially in the context yeah. of Catholic schools yes yes so I've mentioned many times the image of the two lungs in the church. St. Paul VI spoke of the Eastern and Western churches. So when we talk about formation of faith, when we talk about passing on the faith, the two lungs for our young people are the programs of faith formation in parishes as well as our Catholic schools. And what unites both of them is the importance of families and parents as witnesses of the faith. So I think Patrick did a superb job of explaining that essential foundational piece. But what I want to talk about is Catholic schools because we spend some time with the program of faith formation. And, you know, there's, I'm the product of Catholic education, Catholic schools, my whole life. All right, I only went to public school in kindergarten. Not even kindergarten, it was like that, that program that they had before you know, I forget exactly what it was called, but anyway. <laughs> and, you know, and a lot of people will say, oh, all right, Bishop of Pecan, honestly, Catholic schools are not what they once were, right? Most of them don't have religious teaching. They become so expensive. You have to keep raising millions of dollars so that children can go to them, particularly those who are immigrants. Like, why in the end, I mean, isn't this just a sign to say, you know, we should just move on to a new model, right? And I'm going to say no, no, and no. <laughs> Was that clear? No. <laughs> so you're saying it's a no. Right? 
Exactly. <laughs> and the reason is, is because I think it's not a question of stacking the two experiences side by side, but by virtue of just sheer time and exposure information, our Catholic schools are a privileged place where young people, people can be formed and instructed in the faith. But formed, right, means mind, heart, and will. Right? And therefore, I think it is worth all that effort. And in fact, please God, we have seen a resurgence of enrollment in our schools since the pandemic started. And most recently, it's gone up again, 10%, which is tremendous. And the truth be told that many parents are coming into our schools, not because of the pandemic, but because they're fed up with the curriculum in many schools that they simply do not agree with, that they find it to be inimical, not only to their Catholic faith, but to their own values. And they don't want to be in the position where the schools teach one thing and mom and dad teach something else. They don't. Yeah. That is why homeschooling is exploding in the United States. Because parents are conflicted. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to make a social commentary on, you know, public education and all the rest of it, all right? Because that's not helpful. Everyone could draw their own conclusions. But as a bishop of the church, we have the opportunity to provide education that is unencumbered by all of that, right? There are some who will say that Catholic education is not as Catholic as it once was, in part because the religious are not in large numbers in our schools anymore, in some schools not at all. And while I think it is certainly much more challenging for our lay faculty to form spiritual children that are given to their care because they don't have the religious charism of the religious congregations, right? Nonetheless, they can, and with our support, they do, they are ministers of the gospel. So, my question is, and I've given this talk at Notre Dame many times uh, at the Pastors Institute, what is unique about Catholic education? Why is it in the end so important to have Catholic schools in our midst? Venture and answer, my friend. How would you answer uh, that question? I'm, I would just repeat, actually, Excellency, what you just said. I mean, that's we need a place that can um, support for six hours a day and, and reiterate what the parents as the primary teachers of the faith are teaching at home. And, and, and a place where you've said before, Excellency, that uh, God is the creator of science. He's the author of history. Those subjects should be infused with theology as well. Right, right. You know, in the theological symposium that we had um, a couple of weeks ago, which I, I referred to two weeks ago in the podcast, one of the interesting insights that I remembered, remember, it's an exercise of memory, right, in this digital epic. Um, one of the things I remembered is that theology itself, as the mother of all sciences, in the Middle Ages, is meant to inform the sciences that have evolved since. To your point, the secular world doesn't have that context, but we do. 
So we're not imposing Christ on science. It's a natural consequence of science. We don't have to be reluctant, right, to ask the question of what science teaches us, for example, of evolution, and yet also affirm the belief of creation. So one would say, how can you do that? And Pope John Paul II was the one in one of his papal audiences, he spoke of that even in a context of evolution, there comes a moment of creation where God creates the soul that, that allows in the evolutionary process that qualitative leap to humanity. So the human is qualitatively different from every, every other creature before him precisely because creation created all things and created this Lord created the soul in each individual human being. So there isn't a contradiction. There's actually a convergence. Now we, in Catholic education, can clearly teach that. In the public schools and in secular education, they will not because they don't have the same. So one of the reasons Catholic education is so extraordinarily important is that it can give a holistic understanding of, of truth. Truth that is more than just propositional or factual. Because truth that's just propositional and factual can also be distorted and manipulated. If you go to Russia and read the history books in Russia, and I know this from friends of mine, right? There is a reading, you will see a narrative of World War II that would be stunningly different from what you and I read when we were in high school. Right? The narrative in many of those history books is that the Russians won the war, right? And they're the ultimate heroes. Now, this is not a question of who's the hero, who won, who It's It's... Literally, the same facts, selected in a particular way, tied together in a narrative that allows a conclusion to be drawn. And one would say, well, how is that? Well, if you had no other context, you would say, well, that must be the truth. But, but we don't necessarily rely on anyone else except the commitment that we need the full truth. And we've gone through a dark period in our church when we've forgotten that basic premise. Right? But now we have relearned it. We will never forget it. In an education, it's key. So you can have the fullness of the truth. You can also consciously form the entire person. Right? So we can talk about, you'll hear people say, we talk about the values of human life. I talk about the heart to form the heart of our young people. Because in the end, in our world, it's not just a question of manipulating facts, figures, and technology to have a successful life, because that successful life could be a train wreck. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the foundation in that life that's rooted in the heart, unless your heart is rooted in the heart of Jesus. 
and our Catholic schools exist to form those hearts in the heart of Jesus. Now, is every Catholic school teacher comfortable? Answer is no. It's our obligation to help our Catholic school teachers understand that they are spiritual parents entrusted with spiritual children in their care, and they need to form their minds and their hearts so that their wills could Christ in the world. And quite frankly, if a Catholic school teacher is not comfortable with that, then the Catholic school teacher has to find another job. Okay? Because it just simply does not work. And I gave a talk to our Catholic school teachers at the beginning of the year, and I impressed this upon them. Because in effect, what I said to them was, is that you're teaching the faith at every moment of every day, in every subject, in every circumstance, when your children are there. And therefore, if you, in your Facebook page, are posting things that are contrary to what the church teaches, then you should not be in Catholic schools. Or if you're posting everything the church teaches and in your heart of hearts do not live it, you shouldn't be in Catholic schools. Now you may say, then who can teach? Well, no one is perfect. So you have to admit that we're all sinners and we all struggle and we all, but you gotta admit that you're struggling and you have to admit where the destination is. Right? It's, it's fidelity to Christ, it's fidelity to the truth he's revealed in and through the church. And it's a lifestyle that's consonant with that truth. That is what forms the minds and hearts of our students. And that is what is the genius of Catholic education. Because you know what? When you're with people like that, it rubs off. Doesn't it? Amen. Yes, it does. Yep. Right. And the same is true for catechists. So let's flip the, the, the omelet. Same is true for catechists. So Patrick did a brilliant job of talking about the families and parents. And our catechists, many of whom, almost all of them are volunteers who do this out of the love of their heart. But they too are not there to just instruct. They are there to witness the faith, right? By their goodness, by their charity, by their patience, right? By the life they live in integrity, Right, A Catholic school teacher and a catechist in a parish establish relationships with the children entrusted to their care. That relationship is the bridge of grace. That allows the power of grace to be unleashed in, in ways we don't understand. Only the Holy Spirit can form a heart. Not you or me. But you become the bridge that allows that to happen. Yeah. My goodness. We have to fight with every ounce of, of energy we have to, to create excellent programs of formation of faith that are holistic, as well as our Catholic schools, so that there's intellectual, affective, and behavioral goals for all of our young people. So a school is literally a place of belonging, learning, molding, formation, and missioning. 
you know, in my talk at Notre Dame, I say that the, the unique characteristic of Catholic schools is the word and. Because at the heart of every Catholic school is Jesus Christ, God and man. Hmm. And he asks us to use reason and faith to find him. And we do it with scripture and tradition, which is the living echo of the truth. And we do it as individuals and as members of a community. And I could go on and on and on. That's the brilliance of, of being a Catholic. It's and. We will, we will, we will fight the, la the battle to the end to preserve the end. And Catholic schools exist for that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess... Uh as we, as we look to strengthen our Catholic schools and the Catholic identity, mm -hmm. the Catholic teaching in the schools, uh, mm -hmm. so you're saying we need to start with the teachers. Is that where you would start? Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because they are, in many ways, spiritual parents. Yes. So in my mind, now, I'd be curious to see what you think of this. I'd be curious to see what reaction we get from our teachers. But I mean, <laughs> in my mind, you have your natural parents and you have spiritual parents. Your natural parents are the ones to whom God has entrusted to you. They are the witnesses of faith, right? Our parents mold us in ways, for better or worse, that no one else does. And when they mold us well, those are graces that we keep our whole life. And when they wound us when we're young, they're wounds we could carry our whole life, right? But then we have a whole set of spiritual parents, starting with our godparents. Mm-hmm. And now with confirmation, for those who, who have been at confirmation in the last few years, I don't talk to the confirmandi before confirmation. Those days are over. I talk to them when I preach to them. I'm not going to talk to them twice. I talk to the sponsors who are the godparents, right? And have them come to understand what it is that the Lord is asking of them. They're spiritual parents. Yeah. So they have to be involved in their ch spiritual children's lives for the better. Encouragement, support, a resource to answer questions. Just simply be around so that these kids know you care. That's a, 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 a precious gift. And then I think our teachers and catechists are spiritual parents. Right? Let me ask you something. In your education... Are there some teachers that stuck out in your mind and said, wow, I mean, just when you look back, had an influence on you that at the time you didn't even realize? Uh, when I think of people like that in my, in my life, in my childhood, I think more of um, coaches and priests, actually. Oh, okay. Coaches. But, <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> like coaches... Like as role models? Yes. Yep. And just, you know, and I don't even know if they were Catholic, but they wanted us, their team, their players, not just to become better players, but to grow into good men. And that... So what were they? What were they? They the were, they, well, they were, they were witnesses in that, in that regard. Hmm. And they were teachers. I like the term. They were spiritual fathers. 
Yes. And the priests are spiritual fathers. Because a, a father, as you are a father to your own children, um, a father is the one who creates the safe space where a child can be both loved and challenged, stretched, accepted, but given the encouragement to go for more, right? I call it the quest for glory in Jesus Christ. You need, you, you need to know there's somebody behind you that if you do fall, you're not going to completely fall flat on your face for trying, and there'll be nobody to help you up. Yeah. That's fatherhood and motherhood. Right? So it, it's your spiritual mother in the classroom when a child trusts you, and that trust is never betrayed. When that child who may, for whatever reason, not fit in easily, and that child is made to feel welcome. That, 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 that is formation beyond price. And I think all our teachers do that. Even in the public schools, they do that. If you're a good person, you're going to do that. But what gives the advantage in our Catholic schools is that we can speak about it in the proper terms because we could speak about it in the name of Jesus, where there are many public school teachers who I think in some way would love to be able to and can't if they want to keep their job. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, so the goodness I'm referring to, this d dynamism, is not just in our Catholic school teachers. Right? It's in any good teacher. But for Catholic school teachers, we could take it to the level of reflection and say, I do this for him. Right, for him. <laughs> and that him is the one you're going to lead, right? That you're going to follow. He's going to lead you. That's the one you're going to follow his lead. That's priceless. Priceless. So in the end, my goal, my prayer is that maybe one of the blessings coming out of COVID is that we may, in short order, maybe have to start new schools. And there are already new schools like the Salvadorian Sisters in Stanford. Their school is growing dramatically. You have no idea how, how that gives me such encouragement. Right? And please God, one of these podcasts, we're gonna start talking about the great work the ambassadors in our diocese are doing as our parishes now can turn the corner and begin to grow as well. Yeah. So that our children who do go to public school, who many times will have good teachers in public school, who are unable to do this last piece, will have it with their spiritual mothers and fathers in their formation of faith in parishes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen um, uh, we've seen over the past. I'm talking about my family now. We've seen over the past, uh, I'd say, ten years. Um, several schools pop up that are uh, trying to embrace the faith as an integral part mm -hmm. of everything that they do. Um, and it's mm -hmm. just been awesome. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. 
and it takes a lot of dedication and sacrifice on the part of the individuals who do it because they, they cannot be compensated like they are in public school. And if therefore, if I was, if I had one wish for our Catholic schools, it's twofold. That the enrollment continues to rise so that we can compensate our good teachers in such a way that they can keep their teaching career in our schools for a very long time. Because with age and maturity comes this ability to even form younger teachers, right? And, and to create a community there where everything I described would just happen naturally. Right? Yeah. But that's another, that's, that's a challenge. But like yeah. all else, in God's time, right? That's right. That's right. So uh, speaking of time, let's take a break. Um, and we'll come back with a mm-hmm. listener question. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, the time of the show where you answer a listener question. So here's an email that we uh, received from a regular listener. And she wrote, I have a question or maybe a clarification, please. When Bishop Frank talked about judgment and sin, He never mentioned confessing and being truly sorry and turning your life around when committing a mortal sin. Would the bishop talk about that, please? Did he just mean that at the time of death, if you are in mortal sin, then heaven isn't accessible? Right. That's an excellent question, and it allows me to clarify it, because the question actually answers the the issue at hand. All sin is forgivable if there's true contrition, remorse, and a desire to amend one's life. Right? Remember the image of the glass under the faucet, and the water is grace. Even if you tip the glass a bit, water will begin to fill the glass. So the offer of forgiveness is always there. It's up to us to approach the sacrament of confession, lay out our sins in true sorrow, seek amendment of our life, and the absolution from, of our sins. Though that mortal sin all right, is forgiven. The difficulty arises when at the moment of death, we have not done that. And that is what I was, because we were talking about the last things, right? So if anyone who's listening to this podcast is in, has committed sin that's truly grave, that is not the occasion to give up. That's the occasion to be compelled to go forward, right? And go to seek the consolation, forgiveness, and new life that comes from the sacrament of penance or reconciliation for confession. Because it's never too late, it's never too late until the moment of death. Then time runs out. So why let it run out? Go now. <laughs> go. <laughs> right? Yeah, Amen. but you have to be contrite. The difficulty is when people find themselves in the sin, it it it, it builds, um, it, it it's beguiling, it's it's seducing, and to truly be contrite can also be fleeting. Because going through the motions of confession is not enough. You have to be truly sorry, right? Excellency, there's also. Uh... There's also this phenomenon of sometimes feeling like 
I've done too much. God could never forgive me for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and that right. sometimes keeps people from going back to confession. Correct. You're right. It's this, it's this profound sense of unworthiness or almost like a spiritual despair that says, I can never really rid myself. And the truth is, your desire is not to repeat that sin again. It's contrition for what you have done. But, but if you were to fall again at sin, go back again and go back again and go back again and go back again and again and again and again. The Father never tires yeah. of loving us and forgiving us. Yeah. Right? But if you think that it's all on you to do and not the grace of God in you, then of course you may easily give up. And do not do that. Do not do that. Amen. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, please send it in to us. Uh, you can send it on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. We would, as always, like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. That's foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, may I please ask for your blessing for all of us? Steve, before we go, yes. next week we have a guest, do we not? We do. We have a special guest, and he's somebody that you know people might know about. Uh, his name is Dr. Scott Hahn from Steubenville, Ohio. I am very excited about that, 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 that podcast. So I invite gonna, everyone to listen. It's going to be a great one. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time we have spent together asking for the grace of more thankful hearts. Help us always to be grateful to you for all the blessings you have given us, especially those hidden in your love. Bless those whom we love in our own lives and bless all those who listen to this podcast. For we make this our prayer as we ask all things through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Amen. my friend, I'll see you on the eve of Thanksgiving. Yay, with Scott Hahn. <laughs> with Scott Hahn. And turkey already at the side. I could already, get out. It would already be a little, <laughs> a little serving in the corner that I won't show you. <laughs> All the best to you, Steve. Enjoy the week. <laughs>